Wing Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Welcome to episode 265, You Can Have a Successful Flight Instructing Business, Part 2. And today joining me on the podcast are uh, some of the same folks we had on part one. And by the way, thanks so much for your feedback. It's going to be uh, Russ Rosleski, Bill English, Sean Moody, and Tom Frick. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Welcome back. And uh, I'm really excited to uh, do part two of this. Yeah, I think we all are. We okay. had some great feedback from the last one and looking forward to doing part two. Let's do the pre-flight. Well, before we begin, guys, real quickly, uh, just a shout-out, first of all, to our sponsor, of course, PlainEnglishSim.com. PlainEnglishSim.com is an app-based aviation radio simulator. It's an easy way to gain radio proficiency, both in VFR and in IFR. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to give away 10 scholarships guides by using the Plain English Sim coupon code. That's one word, plain English SIM. And that scholarship guide has over $120 million of scholarships. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. Uh, and you can get one for free. That free access is for one year. We update it every month. And you can check that out there. At, uh, and it's going to be on the uh, other podcast, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash scholarships. Oh, you can go to stuckmikeavcast.com and click on scholarships also. It's right there. Uh, but we really appreciate the folks at plainenglishsim.com for sponsoring us today. And if you want to help out the podcast and you like this content every dollar we receive from our patreon account we put one dollar towards the scholarships guide and also the pay it forward campaign and that's where you can use that coupon code pay it forward and get a free scholarships guide so we really appreciate that and a big shout out to our patrons out there that have given money and do every month we really appreciate that it does help us here and help us put this podcast together and keep it coming to you now entering cruise flight You know, in the last episode, in part one of this, you can have a successful flight instructing business. Uh, We went over different things like how to get started as a new CFI, you know, getting over that initial anxiety and, and the fears of flight instructing, and also how to establish yourself and build your skills and your reputation. We talked a little bit about the flight school versus independent and also setting your rate, you know, how you get paid and that type of thing. We're going to go a little bit more into that part of it as far as getting paid and where we left off. So uh, one of the things that we, I think we, we talked about a little bit, but I think we really need to solidify and also understand a little bit more is the day rate versus hourly rates. And I'm going to start this off first uh, just to talk about uh, what I've done as an example on a day and hourly rate and uh, what you guys can look forward to. It varies. Now, obviously, an hourly rate, let's talk about the simple one first. That's how most flight instructors are paid, by the hour. You work an hour, you get paid for an hour. Now, some people are, and we talked a little bit about this, are confused as far as, you know, 
when do they get paid? Do they get paid just for the flight or do they get paid for the ground instruction? And we did talk about that where, yes, you get paid the whole time you're instructing most of the time, but there are some flight schools that don't charge for that. So if you're doing a debrief, you're doing a pre-flight, you're, you're actually just doing a, just a ground lesson, uh, you should be getting paid for those hours. Mostly it's the same a rate, but there are some flight schools that do change that. And also as an independent, you can change that yourself. So again, an hour rate is simply... While you're instructing, you're getting paid by the hour. Something that gets a little more confusing, I think, is the day rate. And um, that's something that I think that we, you can kind of look at it from this viewpoint. There's an opportunity cost to you doing a, a day rate. In other words, you're giving up your day to go fly for somebody, but you're also guaranteed that money per day. So if you look at an eight-hour day, you could ask for the eight hours of <laughs> flying time per hour. But what's probably going to happen is uh, when you're asking for a rate for the whole day, there you're going to have to negotiate that. So a day rate basically is, is something a lot of folks use both in the flight instructing world and also in the corporate world. They hire pilots for that day. The way that I've used it is I used to work for a, an oil company and I would do their flight instructing and I would do some of their reviews and they would pay me a certain amount of money per day. We'll talk a little bit about how much you get paid because back then I was getting paid $100 a day uh, to actually fly with this person to, to build time for that individual and also to do their flight reviews for the people there. That's a little bit different. I mean, nowadays uh, things have changed, especially if you specialize uh, for day rates as far as like a Cirrus and that type of thing. Uh, so again, it's something that I normally, what I tell people is if you're going to do a day rate, you know, start high. If you're going to be tied up for the whole day, if it's a six or eight hour day you normally work, you know, ask for that. Uh, you can always negotiate down from there. Uh, but uh, normally what happens is uh, you're going to get paid a little bit less uh, than your hourly rate for an eight-hour day. Not always, though. Uh, if you look at, and I'm going to ask Tom to kind of speak up a little bit about this one. I know in in the Cirrus world, that is a little bit different. I mean, they those guys get paid some amazing uh, amounts uh, as far as uh, that day rate. But anyway, that's a simplification of the day rate. I do do day rates on a, on some other things, and uh, but I want to hear some uh, some of your comments there. So I'm going to start with Tom. Uh, as far as day rates, what has been your experience? And if you could, uh, I know you have a little experience in the Cirrus world. Maybe you could comment on that. Yeah. So um, you're you're correct with the hourly rate, and um, you know charging for flight or ground and whether you're working for somebody or whether you're independent, um, it's all structured a little differently. Obviously, if you're working for a flight school, you're going to be sharing that money with whoever owns that flight school. Um, if you're an independent, you're probably going to be able to charge and keep most of the money yourself. Um, the um, hourly and day rate, um, you know, the day rate um, comes down to, you know, what are you going to charge? The way that I figured mine out is like, what am I going to charge per hour? And, you know, what is a, a full day? So just to keep the math simple, I kept made a full day 10 hours, you know, so that was that was my that's my day rate um, compared to my um, hourly rate. And that's what I've changed, uh, what I put into it. Um, one of the other things that came to my mind also is, is that, that, you know, as an independent flight instructor, I've had opportunities where I've traveled to go work with somebody. And, um, you know, so now you're including expenses as well. So now it's a day rate plus expenses, you know. So if I'm specifically leaving my house to go teach somebody, you know, I mean, and this is agreed upon beforehand with the with the pilot that I'm working with. But generally, you know, they'll pay my day rate and they'll pay for my 
lodging and for food for the day, you know? So, um, that, that becomes part of it as well. And how do you keep track of all that and what are you going to charge for it? And what's, you know, what's a good, um, um, rate to do that. And, you know, you just go by looking out there, you can talk to other CFIs. There's, there was bunches of different ways, you know, um, I had students that at one point told me, you don't charge enough. You're selling yourself short, you know? So I had to look at it and I was, I was probably, you know, um, not charging enough for my services. You know, um, it took a lot of effort and time and resources to get to where I was at. And, you know, I, I should be compensated for what it is that I'm doing. And and that's what you got to come to within, in this whole thing. What are you willing to work for as an hourly rate? What are you willing to work for as a day rate? Are, you know, um, are you going to make sure that somebody covers your expenses if you're going above and beyond where you normally fly out of? And those are some of the thoughts I had. Yeah, I've got some things I can add on there, Tom. I, you did a real good job. Uh, like not a whole lot. Kind of repeated what I was going to say. So good job. But um, the the thing with the, the day rate, is, and I do charge the day rate sometimes, depending on, like kind of like you said, you know, depending on what we're working on and what who the client is. Um, you're not going to get a lot of the day rate stuff. You know, training private pilots, for example. I mean, it just doesn't really work too well. I'm sure there are some examples where it does, but you know, you got intensive training. A person can only fly so much in a day, right? Before they're mentally exhausted. So you're, so that's not really where you see the day rates. Where I see a lot more of the day rates is, is the transition training, the new air, uh, new airplane stuff. Uh, you know, new avionics, some guy puts in, you know, all new glass panel or something. You know, you know, he doesn't mind taking a kind of a real trip somewhere, you know, taking a whole day to do it and learn all about the, the equipment. So, that's where I see a lot of the day rate stuff. I mean, if, if you start getting into the, uh, you know, recurrent training type thing, you know, we're going to talk about, uh, making a niche later, but you know, there are guys, you know, doing, you know, you buy a, a TBM or something, right? Well, you hire the guy to come out and, and do the insurance required training with you. That's generally all at a day rate. And some of these day rates are, you know, pretty good. You know, we're not talking, you know, $30 an hour times eight hours or anything. We're talking a thousand dollars a day or, you know, somewhere in that range for some of these kind of things. So, uh, that's also a lot of how the, um, you know, the, the corporate environment works or the, uh, the contract pilot, I should say, kind of what, uh, what Carl touched on before, you know, if, so usually I'd say once you get into this type of regime, you might be doing some contract pilot work as well. So you kind of have an idea of what your day rate is from what your, you know, uh, clients are willing to pay for you to pilot the airplane and you can kind of transfer that likely over to the same as flight instruction, because I understand, of course, like, uh, like you both mentioned, if you're spending a whole day with a, a client, that's a whole day you can't spend with anybody else. Right. So you, you do deserve to be, to be compensated for your time. Uh, Tom, you had something else. Yeah. And, and it just occurred to me that, you know, the, the level of what you're going to charge for each of those, whether it's a day rate or an hourly rate is also to pay, depend upon what you're doing. I mean, Carl had mentioned, um, the Cirrus as though it was a CSIP for a little while. Um, you know, Cirrus has a, a base day rate that they get for, you know, uh, for their transition trainings. Um, when I train somebody in just a single engine aircraft, the rate's going to be different than if I do in a multi-engine aircraft. Does that aircraft, as Russ was just saying, have, you know, a bunch of uh, technically advanced equipment inside of it? That's also going to play into um, how this goes. You know, I mean, I've, 
I try to keep it simple. And that's, that's what I was trying to get at here is, is that there's all these different levels and all these different things. But at the end of the day, I try to keep it simple so that I don't like get myself completely confused on what I'm charging, who and when and why, you know? So, um, that's, that's kind of what the, the trick is in all of this for me is to just try to keep everything, um, in, in some form of simplicity. Those some great points, guys. And, uh, you know, to clarify, when I was working on a day rate uh, for this oil company, I kind of wanted a job with the company. So I think I gave them a, a really good deal. But uh, uh, I was doing uh, transition training, I guess was the best way to say it primarily. Uh, when someone when they would buy an aircraft uh, for their sales person that's out there, I would actually help them gain their hours. So a lot of times it was kind of a little bit of babysitting, a little bit of transition training, uh, but it uh, it was really a lot of fun uh, for me. But I do hear this from a lot of instructors here. They say, hey, you know, uh, someone's going to hire me as an instructor for the day. A lot of times we get confused as to if you're an instructor or a pilot uh, for them. If you're signing their logbook and you're doing training, yeah, you are a flight instructor. And that's what we're primarily talking about now. There is that line, though, you cross. Now you're a commercial pilot for somebody. And that's a whole different discussion about day rates and flying and how we do that in the in the quote-unquote corporate world and that varies tremendously based on the type of aircraft and the type of training you're doing so but in this discussion we're just talking to about day rates i have an airplane i want to be i want you to fly with me in the airplane and do ground training for the whole day i want you for a week and you're mine that kind of thing and that's what we're talking about as far as day rates Great stuff, guys. Uh, I think that's it on that discussion. I really, uh, I hope we now understand what we're talking about day versus hourly rates, and we're talking about flight instructing as far as day rates. Good stuff. Well, let's move on to the to the next topic, and this is the one that we've been getting a lot of questions about. We touched on it a little bit uh, last episode, but the difference between the type of employee you are, whether you work for a flight school or as an independent instructor. So just just let's just clarify flight school versus independent instructor first. Uh, a flight school means you're actually working uh, for somebody, a specific flight school. An independent instructor means that someone doesn't control your day. Uh, you can maybe show up at a flight school as an independent instructor, uh, part-time usually, uh, but you're not under the control of that flight school. A good example, I'm like that. I'm an independent instructor. I'll go in and I'll instruct at a flight school, and it's a different relationship than another flight school where I work as an employee, and they kind of control my, my schedule because I say, hey, I'm, I'm available for these. You know, These are my days on, and you can fill up my schedule type of thing. So those are kind of two different things there. Um, and and one of the things that we have to understand is that there's many, many ways of getting paid. So um, I'm going to have you know some of the other folks that have done different things. I know Russ said you primarily work uh, as an employee. I think Sean works as an employee. Uh, that is actually where you wind up getting an hourly rate uh, and maybe a guaranteed number of hours per day, and then you get paid uh, at the end of the day. So uh, as far as, you know, that could also include insurance and that type of thing. But when you're working for a school, you can do it both those ways. You can do it on a 1099, uh, basically as an independent or as an employee. But uh, anyway, Russ, so to clarify, um, are you working as an employee or as an independent instructor? 
No, I, I am completely independent. Uh, I have worked as an employee in the past. My first uh, flight instruction job was as a, a W-2 paid employee, I guess you could call it. Uh, and then I worked for for a while with a different flight school as a as a 1099 contractor. Now, these are terms that people were unfamiliar with. I mean, a, an employee would be paid just like you know, any other job. If you work at you know, Walmart or you know whatever, you, you get paid on a W-2 and they take out you know, taxes and all that kind of stuff. But a, a contractor to a flight school, which is one of one of the ways that uh, that an independent flight instructor can work at a flight school, might be paid on a 1099, which means they're just being paid, here, this this is your contract amount, you got paid this amount uh, for this mon- amount of hours, you know, this month or year or whatever, and uh, you're responsible for all your own taxes and stuff. So that, that makes a, a big difference when we, we start talking about billing and you know we talked about how much you should charge for your hourly rate but how you're getting paid actually has has quite a bit of an effect on that uh, the, the really the third way is, is strictly independent where I'm not really being I'm not really contracting for a school per se I'm just working directly with the aircraft owners and the clients and they just pay me directly so uh, I don't know, do we want to talk about a little bit of the, the tax benefits here or not? I mean, none of us are CPAs as far as I know. but <laughs> You know, Russ, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and uh, as far as uh, W-2 the, and, and uh, contractor, and we'll, then we'll go into a little bit about the different ways that you can get paid. Um, as a contractor, there are a lot of different ways I'm about to get into. Uh, but it, it's really important for people to also understand if you are going to work as a flight instructor, there may be restrictions, say even if you're working part-time by your current employer. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that I, I actually work for a flight school on a W-2 basis. But what I had to do, I had to go to the airline that I work for, had to go through a whole process, get approval to work at that specific place. And I have to renew that every 12 months, that, that actual certification that I can actually go, permission, excuse me, that I can go work for them. Um, so so there, there's that part of it, too. You have to understand if you're getting benefits, they're taking taxes out, et cetera, um, then you are working directly for them. Out of 1099, you got to do a lot of that yourself. As far as the different ways that you can form this relationship and say, and this question comes up a lot as far as an individual flight instructor as a business. A lot of times when you say you are a contractor, you can also uh, do this a little bit differently. And this is where I feel, uh, and I don't want to get too much in the weeds on this one, I feel you really need to talk to your accountant. So for instance, for me, you know, I have this podcast, I have career counseling, I also have my flight instructing. That is all under my one umbrella in my business and my corporation, which I formed, and I directly bill uh, the different flight schools normally, except for the one that I'm on a W-2 basis with. It makes life easier for me on accounting basis, and I put everything into that corporation. What type of corporation do you need to have? Again, you got to go back to your accountant, the S-Corp, the C-Corp, the LLC. You, and, and again, I am nowhere going to get close to that. I've had all. I've had an S-Corp. I've had a C-Corp. C-Corp was a little bigger, and we had you know fringe benefits for our employees where we had you know cars and stuff like that. That's a whole nother ball game. And boy, that could we could sit here for, well, we could sit here and do like a whole nother podcast just on that. Uh, so those are the kind of things you have to you know, look at what are they, let's just talk though, from our perspective as an instructor, what are the, the downsides and the benefits to that? Of course, the benefits are uh, from a tax basis, uh, 
it's terrific for me personally. Uh, and again, you talk to your accountant. But the downside, here's the downside. Now you're responsible for more paperwork. 1099, you're responsible for paperwork. It's a lot easier than if you say you have your own corporation or LLC. There's a little more paperwork involved. And that's where I feel it's a big, uh, or not a big, it's a negative. I'll be honest with you. I really don't like doing paperwork like that. And I wind up, I try to get up at four or five o'clock in the morning and read and just start doing that paperwork that early in the morning for that corporation. So uh, what are the benefits? You know, why, why would a, a school do that? Uh, I'm going to give you an example why a school would want to do like a corporate to court bill or you, you bill their business from your corporation the reason they do that is they don't have any paperwork then. You are a direct expense, just like paying the light bill. They're just paying you as a corporation. So that's how it makes it easier for that flight school. And some flight schools don't like it, and that has to do with, uh, and I, this is actually something I've run across a lot recently and ha has more to do with insurance. We'll talk a little bit of insurance next, but as far as um, the other folks here, have you... Uh, and I think, I'm not sure, Tom, so you can uh, let me know. Did you form your own business when you do your independent uh, instructing and instructing you do on your on your own out there with individuals? Yes. And actually, I formed my own business when, it, when I was still working for the flight school because I was a 1099 employee, which basically made me a contractor. And it, it was at that time, you know, my accountant had, um, you know, advised me that, you know, maybe starting a um, – uh, an S corp would be a good good avenue for me, and and that was based on my finances and the way that I was doing business. Um, I also am a, uh, I also have an aviation job where I'm a W two employee, you know, and then I have one where I'm just an independent contractor, which you know, and so it all kind of goes under the umbrella of, of that um, that S corp, and that's that's the way that it worked out better for me. So um, you know, you were talking a little bit about you know benefit um, working for a flight school or being independent, you know, and other than what we're talking about here with some of the pay stuff, you know, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of considerations that I thought was thinking of in there as well. You know, I mean, being an independent, I'm kind of out here by on my own, you know, I've got to be um, uh, up on everything and, and whatever I find out, it's just me. That was the one benefit that I thought was in a flight school was that, um, you know, I had all other resources. Now the pay wasn't as good because, you know, I had to share my pay with, with the flight school itself. So, you know, that that thought of working for a flight school or being an independent, you know, that was one of the one of the top benefits or or um, detractors that I had for me when I was thinking of going out on my own. And the benefits uh, to touch on that, the flight schools that you work for when you're a contractor, obviously you normally don't get those kind of benefits, but. That's a that's a huge thing. If you need medical benefits and you go work for a flight school that has medical benefits, uh, that I think is very appealing to many of us, and I, and that could sway your decision uh, based on whether you have medical benefits or not. I know it did for me. Uh, one of my first instructing jobs, I had medical benefits. Uh, for the most part, though, that wasn't included. Uh, maybe three out of the ten flight schools I've worked for have had medical benefits and that's something else to think about as the difference between doing a, a corporation or uh, working as a W-2. Let's talk a little bit about insurance. I'd love to hear uh, some feedback from you guys as far as 
would your if a flight school is looking at you would they let you work as a contractor and how does that work as far as insurance is concerned i know one of the schools i work for said no way uh no 1099 uh, because of our insurance the way it is we're going to set you up as a w-2 uh so russ i'm i'm kind of curious there if you're on a 1099 as far as when the insurance we're talking about by the way is like liability insurance that type of thing um how is it that they came to an agreement with you. Do you provide them insurance, or do they have the insurance as a 1099? Well, in the past, when I was working for different flight schools, as it was, you know, insurance has changed a lot in the last few years, as you know, as uh, we've talked about on the show before. But uh, in the past, I was covered by the uh, by the flight school's insurance, and so you know, 1099 employee or you know, or otherwise, but. Uh, I guess that's just how that was structured. Uh, currently, since I'm not you know, associated with a flight school, you know, I have my own insurance. You know, it's uh, it's labeled you know CFI insurance, and it's very similar to the insurance you would have if you were renting an airplane, kind of thing. But except for it also covers uh, uh, instructional liability. I guess you'd say, and I'm certainly not the the insurance expert. We have one of those on this show, but unfortunately, she's not able to make it today. Uh, but, but uh, maybe we could do another episode sometime about that. But yeah, so I do carry my own insurance, and it's it's really not very expensive for the uh, the amount of flying I'm doing, which is which is very, which is nice. You know, mentioning that, my, let's put a shout out first for those folks there. It's air-pros.com. It's where Victoria works. She has some cool videos out there and a description as far as. Uh, what type of insurance you need as a flight instructor. It's flight instructor insurance, that type of thing. Uh, so that's really what you have to look towards is is that insurance. And also, uh, when you're when you're actually teaching, depending on the type of airplane you're teaching in, uh, you may have to get additional insurance, and that's uh, something that you really need to look into. Uh, I know, Bill, you uh, have done some different type of insurance, but just or different type of instructing, but is there any difference in the type of insurance that you've had to get uh, besides just general uh, flight instructor insurance, Bill? Yeah, um, actually, yeah, my my you mentioned Air Pros. That's where I that's where I get my policy from with with Victoria, um, and um, we got a um, she set you up actually if you're a, a member of uh, Safe that that organization. What is that Society of Aviation Flight Educators? A nice discount. Um, we put together uh, a renter and CFI, like independent CFI insurance um, for me. And, uh, you know, I had to go through a couple of things. I'm, uh, I'm working in with one client with a pressurized airplane, so we did need a, a rider with that. Um, so you do have to be very careful when you look at your insurance to make sure if you are, especially freelancers, um, that your, uh, the type aircraft or the type of instruction that you're um, giving is actually covered by the basic uh, policy. So make sure you read through all of that very carefully or work with your um, um, agent on that. And, so, you know, sometimes you may also run into um, a situation where you could be covered under the owner's insurance. They could name you on the insurance as an instructor or a club may have um, their policy may allow, you know, a uh, an independent instructor. But um, very important to read through all of those to make sure that they, they do cover you and don't fall through some uh, strange little quirk. Yeah, good point there, Bill. Um, Sean, now as far as you're concerned, uh, what type of instructor are you? And, and as far as insurance is concerned, uh, do you have to carry any extra insurance? 
Yeah, um, I'm currently teaching uh, two private pilot students. Um, that's uh, kind of all I've ventured into uh, thus far. Um, but uh, our school has uh, standardized insurance plans um, through a, a local place here in Utah. So everyone who is, uh, who is an instructor through the school has to carry a certain level of coverage. And they've got a, a plan there at that school. The school, or I, I'm sorry, at the uh, company, they know that if you say I'm an instructor at X school, that uh, they know which plan to set you up with. Um, so it's currently I just teach in a in a Skyhawk private pilot maneuver, so I don't have to have any any extra insurance that somebody you know flying a more uh, high performance uh, aircraft or aerobatics or anything like that might have to carry. Uh, mine's pretty basic. And that's the kind of insurance you have to buy that on your own, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm trying to remember how much it cost me. It's it's not very much at all. It's it's I think uh, two or three hundred a year. Um, so it's it's not too much. You know, and I'm glad you brought that up because, in general, the CFI insurance is very inexpensive compared to what it covers you for. I highly recommend you getting the insurance. Uh, and it's uh, a lot of people say say to me, "Well, I have errors and omissions in my in my business." It's like, no, no, go talk to somebody, your insurance agent, about it, and ask them specifically if something happens while you're instructing. Will your errors and omissions cover that? Uh, I've heard that a few times, so there might be a little bit of confusion there. So please talk to your insurance agent about that. Uh, Tom, do you now do you carry? I'm assuming you carry uh, CFI insurance, or is there any? Or is there another? type of insurance that you carry no i carry cfi insurance and i carry a renter's insurance and um you know i started doing those because one of the things i was thinking about with this is um when i was working for as a contractor for a flight school um it was through the process of asking questions that i figured out that yes i was covered as a cfi through the flight school however there was um, a ten thousand dollar deductible that i didn't know about that i would have been responsible for and that's what I carried insurance for was to cover the deductible um, for the flight school's insurance. Um, there was a certain level that I would have been, like I said, responsible on the uh, should an incident have happened, um, and so I kept insurance to cover that responsibility as well. And then you know, I mean, since I already had CFI insurance, I kept good insurance the whole time I was working for the flight school, and then just it was a no-brainer to to you know just make sure I checked with the. Uh, policy and make sure that uh, I had the proper insurance when I started teaching independently. So, uh, Tom, to, cl- to clarify that, so you actually are paying for two different insurance, a CFI and also a renter's to cover that $10,000 difference, like you said? Um, they're, they're basically the same policy, Carl. It was it was something that we put together with the adjuster. You, you tell them what kind of flying that you're doing, what where, how are you using airplanes and all that stuff, and then they put in all the different riders to, to make sure that it's... Uh, um, like I said, Victoria is the expert on this one. Um, I'm not quite sure. I'll just know that I uh, wanted to make absolutely sure that I asked the questions that I would be covered in whatever contingencies that uh, go along with the hazards of my profession, if you will. Interesting. Yeah. And a good point, Tom. You really got to uh, call your insurance agent. I mean, it's uh, aviation insurance agent is really important. Somebody to talk to, you know, and again, air-pros.com, uh, some great people to go talk to, by the way. We're not sponsored by them. It's just our friend, Victoria, who uh, who works for them. Wonderful people over there. They're very friendly. And they answer these kind of questions we're asking. Uh, as a matter of fact, if, you know, if you want, we could just do a whole episode just on that, on insurance and not just insurance for CFIs, but maybe maybe for aircraft and that type of thing. And the one other thing I want to stress, too, that I think Tom and Russ and, and, and Bill all brought up here is the fact that 
when you're instructing in something that uh, you think is out of the quote-unquote ordinary, like it's not a, a single engine, a 172, make sure you have the insurance uh, for that specific aircraft. Uh, so if it is something that is a little bit different, uh, you make sure you are covered. And you'd be surprised at sometimes uh, what type of aircraft will actually require extra insurance. Uh, so if you're teaching in a specific type of multi-engine and you're covered for multi-engine, that one specific multi-engine you're teaching in, say it's a 421, a Cessna 421, you may need additional insurance and maybe additional training. So definitely uh, check into that. Some great discussion though on the insurance and it's something I really highly recommend people look into. You know, now moving on uh, from insurance, we also have to, you know, we talked about all the different flight schools versus, you know, being an independent, that type of thing. But there's something that's really, really important. And without this, we wouldn't have a job. And that's the student. And the, the, the most important person out there is that student. And we have to look at the type of student that we're marketing towards. And for instance, for me, I don't do a bunch of primary, but a lot of the people that I train and, the, and what I get paid for the most is helping people transition to an airline job and that type of thing. Um, and I do some instrument training, that, that type of thing. But it's all these different focus groups, that, and, and that's where we look at as far as what type of student we're going to train towards. Uh, primary students, uh, those are the people that are learning how to fly. Those are the type of students that I feel, and this is my opinion, I'd love to hear what you guys think, I feel is one of the most important students out there for this reason. You are about to engage in this new journey in this person's life, and that new journey is aviation. What you do at this point is so important to forming them as an aviator, but also their attitudes towards aviation. Because we all know, we've heard the stories of people going to a flight school, maybe looking for a flight, an intro to flight, and getting totally turned off to aviation, even though they've had this love all their life of aviation, they thought they wanted to fly, but because of that experience, it really, really turned them off. Uh, for, and this is the primary student, someone that's that's just first learning how to fly. Their attitudes, um, and and th it's funny because these are soft skills. These are the the relationship you make with with this primary student. Because because once you get past primary, they're in. You know, they're like, hey, I'm going on for the, my 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 instrument, my multi, whatever it may be. I'm kind of curious as to you know, uh, you've heard me say this before. What people do as far as the primary student, how to engage, and how to attract a primary student, uh, and and what you you know, how do you treat them possibly? different uh, from a student that is already involved in aviation and they want their instrument rating and they're, they're incredibly focused. I know what I do. I try to make it fun uh, for them as much as possible because that's why they're getting involved in this. So, uh, so Bill, I, you know, going back to what I was saying about um, the introductory flights and, and that primary student, first of all, you know, what type of intro flights, uh, what do you do with a new student? And do you have any good or bad stories as far as intro flights are concerned? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've given discovery flights for a long time. And I've, I've heard and heard of some, uh, some that definitely turned people off. It's, uh, it's amazing. You really do. You, you touched on it, Carl, about um, try to know, uh, or at least figure out the student where they're coming from, what they want. Um, you know, it wasn't long ago, I, uh, I had a discussion with a, a you know friend of the family. It was um, 
fellow with plenty of disposable income, that wasn't going to be an issue. And, you know, we were just talking about flying and he related this story of years ago. I don't know. He was, he was younger. Maybe he was in college or something like that. I said, oh, you know, I thought I wanted to go and, you know, learn how to fly that, that looked cool. And his whole story was really about what a bad experience it was, how he was like, oh, no, it wasn't like that. You know, like when you ride in an airline, it was, it was like they were really steep and, and it was really noisy and all this. And, the the uh, the person who gave him that intro ride didn't didn't give him any knowledge at all about what to expect. You know, people come into this, and you know, we kind of think we're very comfortable, we're very familiar with uh, with small aircraft, with general aviation aircraft. But um, the person who's just coming in for a discovery flight, they don't really know, and and or what they do know is what they see on the internet or on TV, and you know, who knows what kind of uh, information that is they might be apprehensive so um and that actually inspired me i've i've made myself a um a, you know a new pilot or a new person new passenger uh, sort of checklist way beyond everybody knows you know the safety briefing right that you're supposed to give to a passenger but far beyond that so people know what to expect um all the way down to just how to behave around the airport and it's not a lecture but just hey here's you know be involved with them and and let them know what's going to happen so that they're not they're not surprised or they're not scared and you know that that guy, that poor guy he he was turned off aviation for many many years i'm thinking maybe i got the hook back in him now but uh he was he was he could have been uh he could have been a pilot 20 years ago. So, Tom, I think uh, you want yeah. you had a good example of a of an intro or a discovery flight. Sure, you know, and 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 Bill's absolutely right. You know, I mean, it's like somebody comes in the. I, I've flown a lot of them too. Working for a flight school, it was a you know, um, you know, it's one of the other nice things about working for a flight school is like the students come to you, you know, and, and they're, they're looking, seeking out the flight school and, and they're, um, there's plenty of them. So I, I would get discovery flights and people would come up and I had several that would show up and that you could just tell, you could see the look on their face that they were doing this, but they were not sure about it. They were not sure at all, you know, and being able to calm them down and take them out. And I, it's, it's happened more than once where I've taken somebody out and taken the time to let them touch things on the plane and explain to them what they do and explain to them what they can expect and how the plane's going to react when it's in the air and what we're going to see and what they're going to be able to do. And, you know, it's like I tell them I'm going to put them on the controls and let them fly the airplane. And they look at me like, oh, oh no, there's no way, you know. And, of course, by the time we get out there and I get them on the control. You know, by the time we're heading back to the airport and it's time to land, it's like, okay, I got to have the controls now so that I can land the airplane, you know, and they're like, oh, can't we just go another 10 minutes or so? And, and to see that in somebody, somebody who showed up, you could see the fear in their eyes. And by the time they got out of the airplane, they were, they were, you know, just bubbling about aviation, you know, then, then, you know, that you've done your job right. And, and it should be like that every time, I think. Uh, that's an excellent story, Tom. I, I really, and I believe that too, is that you're introducing to this so such a foreign world, and and that attitude, Tom, that you have, it really shines, and it helps us as an industry too, obviously. Um, and one of the things I tell people is when you're doing your intro flight, give it two hours, even if it's a half hour flight, because there's so many questions that they have, and I can't tell you how many people have said to me afterwards, "Gosh." You know, I picked you as a flight instructor because you're the one that spent all the time with me and you talk to me. And be inviting, too, of everybody that walks into the airport. You know, go over to the fence, go over to the door, 
and try to find those people and say, hey, come on in, you know, check this out. And, and you know, the, it's, it's great. I mean, it's wonderful to be in this, this environment, and we really welcome you here. We talked a little bit about uh, the primary student now and getting people interested. And I think a lot of folks are, are there looking at this saying, okay, how about everybody else? Well, we do have others. We have your advanced, and usually and I talked about what I do with the instrument, but there's other like commercial. And Russ, I think all you have actually, I, I think, concentrated on, uh, I think it's a multi-engine or something like that. So tell us a little bit about some of those other type of students that, that you actually focus on and, and any others in the list that are types we should talk about. Yeah, that's right, Carl. I And we'll talk, uh, next topic is about kind of creating a niche. And I've seen to have kind of done that recently. And most of my work uh, this year, well, 2020 anyway, has been, uh, has been these, you know, commercial ratings, multi-engine ratings, and, and, and in another category I'll mention here in a second. But uh, these, the, the main difference here, of course, with, with primaries is that, well, number one, they're already pilots. You don't need to convince them you know, why they need to be pilots. So there, there's not, there's not that, uh, that type of discussion, but I, I really enjoy working with a lot of these folks because, you know, they, they are existing pilots. They, they kind of know the basics. Uh, although it is, it is amazing and wonderful. You know, when you sign someone off for that first solo, you know, it's great to see the, you know, like, uh, like I think, uh, Tom was talking about that, that spark in their eyes. You know, it's also a lot of fun flying with someone who, does know how to fly the airplane. You're teaching them something new. So uh, all these people, of course, are coming. You know, they're voluntarily, at least in my experience, I haven't had anybody forced to to fly. <laughs> but uh, so the uh, so just the the type of flying we get to do is a little more varied, I think, in in my opinion. I have done quite a lot of instrument training. I haven't done much of that in the last couple of years, just because my focus has been elsewhere. But uh, but just exposing existing pilots to new things is is really exciting for me and, and letting them see hey this is the the next step in, in you know, my career path i guess uh, the other thing that that i have been doing a lot of and i've always done a lot of, i'm sure this is true for the other guys too is is these you know training that doesn't necessarily lead to a rating uh, you know, proficiency training, refresher training, uh, the person, you know, buys a new GPS or, or they bought a new GPS and they've never used one before. You know, they did their instrument rating uh, before GPS or something like that, or putting a new autopilot or, 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 or new airplane or who knows any of this kind of stuff. I, I really enjoy that type of thing too, because every specific client and every airplane I get into is configured differently, has a different background and it's a tailored training program a tailored syllabus for for every single <laughs> every single client and that that that's interesting and exciting and and definitely uh, gets me out of a rut i, I guess you know, sometimes we tend to get that when we're just following the same syllabus for the same folks over and over again but um, i really do enjoy that kind of training as well and well honestly as a flight instructor it's nice because there's no check right at the end <laughs> you know, in a lot of these. So, uh, so, so it's, it's a whole lot of fun. And, and honestly that, that results in a little less stress for the client as well. So that actually is, uh, 
something that we sometimes don't think about. I mean, basically, that person that's not getting a rating, a proficiency, refresher. Um, I'm curious, Russ, do you, have you ever worked with somebody who, say, got a, a panel redone? Because I know there's people that really specifically work with people that say got the, I don't know, a G1000 or something in their aircraft. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Carl. I, that's that's one of the things that I, I do really enjoy. And actually, I have a client right now. We were in his airplane just a few days ago, and he was, yeah, it was it was a new airplane to him. So we're we're kind of running down the the equipment. So I'm like, I told him well, this doesn't quite work out work as it should. You know, something needs to be adjusted here, and this display is not quite right, and that kind of thing. Just you know, some minor squawks. And every time I said something, it's like I don't care. I'm getting it all torn out. <laughs> You know, in a couple of months, it's all going to be, it's all going to be brand new. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's going to go all glass and all kind of things. So for him, you know, I will have to look at exactly what he's putting in and, and work up some kind of training program. And, and for me, that's, that's pretty exciting. I like that. Yeah, I think it's cool. Even for someone, now, that's the other thing too. For someone like me who has a lot of hours, I still go to somebody else for some transition training. Like I, I've only, well, actually, I thought I only flew once in a G1000 aircraft, but I think Bill English reminded me that we actually went in a G1000 the, the other day. And uh, Bill, I'm assuming that's something that you also do is you help people transition to, say, their new fancy panel or something they've never seen before. Yeah, I've worked on a number of different panels. Um, yeah, you, you, so I'm very at home with the G1000. I'm flying with folks who have the, the 650s and the other touchscreen navs and uh, Aspen. Um, so yeah, as an in, that's one of the things as an independent, you know, you you will do that. You'll hop from uh, from plane to plane, and there's going to be all different kind of panels, not uh, not standardized. So um, I suppose that's going to kind of come into our niche discussion here in a minute. But yeah, definitely uh, there there are some uh, folks who you know want to work on that if they've got a. Uh, a G1000, surprisingly, I think a lot of people look at that as, you know, that's something, well, that requires a lot of specialized training, but it's so nicely integrated. The um, the more difficult ones are those hodgepodge panels, some that are, you know, maybe they still got some old steam, but then they've stuffed some Aspens in there, or maybe a Garmin 430, but there's some other steam gauges around, and uh, uh, people do have a lot of difficulty with that and need some uh, need some coaching, so that's a great thing to to be helping with. Yeah, so that G1000, the, all the different panels and, and helping people with that, that refresher type of training and also uh, an advanced training for them, that's, that's for sure. Right. An, another thing, too, that, and this is something that I get to get involved with is some type rating, and, and that's a lot of fun, too, if you have a specific knowledge on a certain airplane. Um, you know, maybe you fly a corporate uh, plane for your job or you're an airline pilot and you want to help somebody pass their test on their specific airplane then or their oral exam, you can do that type of training too. I mean, it's all flight instructing. It's all, all sorts of fun uh, getting into all the different types of systems and things like that. So that's something I, I actually get involved with, uh, obviously with my business, with my career coaching, is getting people ready for their type ratings and getting people ready for those uh, specific interviews, which is the same thing as getting ready for an oral exam, your instrument, your commercial, uh, you know, your multi, and that type of thing. As far as what you touched on, Bill, and we touched on the G1000. There's people that have built careers around that specific thing. And there are some advantages to having that, that niche and creating a specific market there. And we know some people on the Internet that are very involved in those type of aircraft. I keep going back to Tom as an example of somebody who has created a niche in the Cirrus. And that's something that I think is incredibly important. But... Russ, before we get to that, 
what what is what is some of the things in, about you know niching down that you think is really important as a flight instructor? Well, I think that you know we all generally start out in flight instruction at a flight school teaching you know private and instrument and some commercial students and that kind of thing. Uh, but when you look at advancing in your career as a flight instructor, and that's really what we're talking about in this whole uh, two-part episode here, right? It's, it, we're not really talking about just building your hours and, and then going on to the airlines. We're talking about building a career as a flight instructor. Well, usually that involves, you know, working your way up into, you know, higher income levels, I guess, than, than you might get at a flight school. And often a good way to do that is by creating a niche. I mean, we have, you know, you have the, the Cirrus guys, you have the, you know, aerobatics instructors, the guys who, you know, do very specialized, uh, transition training into, you know, turboprops and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, this is, this is the, I don't know, maybe one of the harder parts of becoming a flight instructor is try to, trying to determine that market and where you can, to move yourself and where, how you can position yourself to, you know, create you know, your business and keep expanding your business. And I know for me, for the longest time, I was pretty much a generalist. I mean, I would do, you know, whatever came along, you know, private, you know, if someone showed up or instrument training or if they needed some flight reviews and that kind of stuff. And, and I didn't really have a niche exactly. Um, but over the years, about starting about three years ago, I would have people come up to me occasionally and say, Hey Russ, can you do multi-engine training? And I'm like, well, you know, yeah. If you have a if you have a twin-engine airplane, yeah, I can do it. I'm an MEI, but I don't have, I don't have an airplane. So, uh, but this it wasn't just one person. It was I don't know maybe five people over over a couple of years were asking me this question. And so all of a sudden last year I said, you know what, <laughs> maybe I need to be beat over the head a few more times on this. But uh, I think there might be a market here because they, I keep getting asked about it. So. So I was able to work out a deal with uh, a flight school in a different city to kind of do a long-term run on one of their airplanes. And now my niche is multi-engine training. And through that, I, I have been, I had no idea there was going to be such a market. I mean, I figured I'd do these, you know, these five people and get them done and maybe be done. But, you know, I've had this thing for six or seven months now and I've, and I have a backlog of, of clients to, uh, to get everything from adding on commercial rating, you know, commercial multi-engine to getting their ATP to multi-engine instructor ratings and this kind of stuff. So it has been a very, um, uh, surprising <laughs> and, and very, I'm very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time, I guess, but it's been a great niche for me in this area. But if I was somewhere else that might not have worked out, there might've been plenty of other training. So that's really where you need to, you know, try to figure out what is required in, in your local area and what needs in the pilot community just aren't being filled. And that was it for me. So, uh, I, I was able, like I said, right place, right time to, uh, to jump into that niche. And you looked at that niche, you jumped in it and, and you did a great job at it. The thing is though, sometimes niches, uh, can go away or not turn out to be what you think they are. I know with, with me personally, I really was niched down into NDBs, ADFs, and understanding how to do approaches. And and uh, and first of all, some people don't even know what I'm talking about, but those have gone away. <laughs> and and it's really not a great niche to be in. And realizing that, I had to switch and uh, it got into the KL and 89B. I was like, oh, this is exciting. But Sometimes when we niche down, it can hurt our business, especially if we look at something very, very specific. And, you know, for me specifically in my business, my niche was I got people ready for the legacy airlines for their for actually getting ready for 
you know, their interviews. And that went to zero overnight uh, because of, you know, what's been happening here with the pandemic. So sometimes a niche can be great, but when it's not good, it's not good. Uh, and that actually can go away for some time. And that's when you got to change direction and go on to something else. Bill, has you, have you ever had a niche that kind of didn't turn out the way you thought it would? Uh no, it's, no, I was just joking. I was, I was mentioning that we talked about niches, but I said my, uh, you know, my expertise on Loran-equipped beach starships was not uh, working out as lucrative as I hoped, which that, I'm just kidding about that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, there, there can be. I mean, you, you don't want to paint yourself into a corner with uh, too unique a thing. You know, if you have a um, client, I mean, I don't want to be specific. Uh, you know, I have private clients and everything, but I am, I'm working with somebody now, great, great guy, great airplane and everything that I work with a lot. Um, but it's a very unique airplane. Uh, there's, there's, uh, I think something like 20 of them. It's particular modification and everything. So I, I've got a great niche, but I, there's not really anywhere else I'm going to go with it because there's very few of those airplanes. So you do have to be a little bit careful with that, I suppose. Um, I, uh, you know, the avionics change a lot. You know, so there's probably a good balance. And I, I kind of wanted to ask you all about, uh, about that. You know, where do you draw that line between really being a guru of one thing? But hopefully, you know, given the way avionics and computers change, it might not be that long before it's just, you know, washed away by, uh, you know, by some new technology. You know, Bill, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And that's kind of what my point was going to be as far as when niching down is negative. I personally feel, and I'd like to hear what everybody else says about this, I think we should read current periodicals and and know what's happening in the industry to see where the market is going. Because like with the ADFs, I kind of knew that was going away, so I knew it was time that someday these new things called GPSs were coming out, that that was the direction to go in. So I think that's that's really important, is to find is to watch what's going on out there. Um, I'm curious, does, does anybody else do that too? I mean, I was, uh, if anybody else wants to weigh in, do you actually see – the, what you're working in or the potential for something to work in. And do you see that because of the fact you hear it on the radio, you see it at the air show, you read it in the magazine, and then you say to yourself, hey, that's something I want to do. Just curious if, if anybody else does it. I know that I, I kind of wanted to also lead into this with, with Tom, that some people's niches go directly to a specific airplane, like a Cirrus. So in that case, you know, if, and nobody else has something to comment on that. What, you know, do you ever get nervous, Tom, about that uh, as far as niching down into just the Cirrus? Um, yeah, I think I did at one point because, you know, they're you know, they're not always readily available. It's a certain clientele that flies a Cirrus and, and you know, they generally, the, the company itself is, you know, got a great plan going on with their recurrency training and, and things like that. So, you know, they've made it so that CSIPs will be in need as long as that Cirrus aircraft are flying. So, yeah, but, um, you know, the whole idea of niching and, and you know, you got to be willing to re-niche. And that's that's the term that, that came up for me was just re-niching because it, while I was riding this wave of, you know, flying a lot of Cirrus for a while, things in my situation changed and, you know, it's not as prevalent as it was. So you got to reinvent and rethink and redo all the time. And it's, you know, it's part of being a, you know, a contractor, your own business owner. You know, I mean, if you want to 
um, have your own hours and do what it is that you want to do, then you've got to be the one that figures out what it is that you want to do, you know? So it's, it's constantly learning and, you know, trying to reinvent and, and see what a need is, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of it right now and, and have been for a little while and, you know, it's a, it's an ever evolving process. So yeah, you know, um, I did, you know, cause I did, I had the opportunity to, um, you know, to get in the Cirrus and, and be, um, very focused on it, you know, for, for quite a while. And it was, uh, it was a great experience, you know, um, there's a piece of me that wishes I could still do it as much as I was, but there's another piece of me that likes where I'm moving now. So, um, it, it's really all about an individual preference, but yet staying current with everything and being able, like I said, re-niche yourself. Yeah, I agree with, with everything that Tom said there, you got to be able to be flexible. I mean, and, and one story I kind of have about my life is that recently I have become a bit of a, uh, my niche is also, you know, it's been multi-engine training, but also specifically with clients with twin Cessnas. So that especially the pressurized models of three forties and such. Um, well, this, this is one of the things that kind of is fluctuates. It, it's very cyclical. Uh, but, you know, what was it? Maybe 10 years ago, you know, gas prices were a whole lot higher and nobody was, you know, buying these, you know, uh, 340s and 421s and such. And then, uh, and then the market went way down. They were very inexpensive. Well, now apparently we have people buying them again. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the, uh, the variability here is just, you know, if, it, if you have your niche, don't be afraid to, to go outside it. Uh, you know, I've, I've been able to, to keep up, you know, that kind of work and as well as, you know, some other things just by like Tom was saying, you know, being flexible and, and not being afraid to, uh, to try new things. A little bit of the situation Tom was talking about with the Cirrus is I think is sometimes you have a, uh, you know, a little bit of a chicken and the egg, right? You know, nobody's going to to hire you unless you're a, a CSIP or a, you know, a Bonanza approved instructor or, you know, one of the other, uh, type clubs, uh, nobody's going to hire you to teach them if you're, unless you're one of those, but take some money to become one of those, but you're not going to get any clients until you are, <laughs> you know, so you really don't know what your market is. So that that's kind of where we're going talking about before was that you have to, you know, find, find that market, uh, make sure you understand the, the market conditions. I mean, if it's local or if you're willing to, to travel and do that kind of training, then, then that definitely helps out, but do a good market study before you really commit yourself, uh, towards, towards, um, you know, a lot of costs and, and training and, and travel and such. But on the other hand, sometimes you just need to, to jump in and, and see how things go, but that that's the risk in any sort of business. That's not specific to flight instruction. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, you can do all the marketing and the studies you want, but luck helps a little bit. But but go for it because you're not going to do much if you just sit there and do nothing. So great, great point, uh, Russ. Uh, really appreciate that. So marketing, yeah, get out there, read everything, get involved in the industry, listen to podcasts, read magazines, go to the air shows, and discover a market that you're interested in because a lot of times you do better if you're interested in that market. You know, another thing that uh, we talked about is, uh, and we kind of alluded to, is recurrency in, in the beginning of this and, and the different type of things that you can get involved with in flight training. I think uh, some people forget about this as far as getting involved in uh, recurrency as far as for flight other flight instructors. You're a flight instructor helping other flight instructors. Russ, have, have you ever uh, been involved in like uh, a FERC or doing these? I know they're both in person and online. Have you ever done those and been a, an actual teacher? 
No, I have not. I, I've, I've done all mine online or uh, when we, you know, if I have enough students pass check rides, then I won't have to do them. Like this next time I should not have to do a FERC in person or online off the, the activity to pass. But, but I do think it'll be, it'll be pretty interesting to, to run a FERC. I think that's where you're leading, right, Carl? Exactly. <laughs> I was like, um, you know, one of the things that I think is, and you don't necessarily have to run it. Maybe the first time get involved in one through somebody else. I know that I've been involved in FERCs and uh, had uh, a person that ran the 141 school and said, hey, listen, you're going to do this lesson. And I think that's that's something that we sometimes don't think about because there's – and why is that? Because you, you're involved in aviation and you get a lot of check rides done and we assume everybody's full-time as a flight instructor. That's not true. Uh, there's a lot of people out there, many people out there, that this is they haven't instructed in 20, 30 years, but they need to go to these flight instructor refresher clinics, both either an in-person one or online. And you can, you can become involved as a lecturer, both in those in-person, those Zoom meetings, or in a pre-recorded one. You can actually get your own approved and actually teach during that, uh, that specific first. So that flight instructor refresher clinic, you can actually get very involved in helping people uh, that, you know, don't intend right now to be an instructor, but want to hang on to it maybe another 10 years till they're ready for retirement. And then they're going to go into retirement and become a flight instructor. Maybe they're, they've been a teacher and now they want to actually, and they got their CFI a long time ago. Now they want to go into it full time, but you have to, they have to use these FERCs. There's a huge market out there for that. Uh, and even other, you know, recurrency, uh, multi-engine, those type of things, uh, you can go online, you can get people ready to go out there and get current in a twin. Because really, for a lot of this recurrency, it's not just FERCs, it's many other things. Things like uh, specific aircraft where the insurance company requires you to go, uh, like in the, the 340, maybe they make you go to a sim training every so often. Uh, so that's the type of thing that you can get involved with. And there's many organizations out there you can get involved with through the recurrent training, which, you know, it's not initial. And the cool thing about it is people a lot of times come to you, uh, especially, you know, when you're first starting out in the business, maybe go work for somebody and then become the expert and then you can start doing it on your own, that type of thing. But uh, anyway, so is there any, I'm trying to think other than other recurrent uh, training, obviously the IFR training, that type of thing, uh, having a simulator that you have available, have your own simulator. There's lots of different things that you can do in currency. And it, I'm not just talking uh, the legal currency. I'm talking being current and trying to train somebody so that they actually can go fly in the system. So there's a, the legal recurrency. You got to do the class. Then there's the other currency where you, you should do the class to make yourself proficient and that type of thing. Well, anyway, guys, this has been an awesome discussion. I know we're up on the hour mark here, and we have to get to our picks of the week. I know we're going to get a lot of other questions about this. There's going to be some more discussion as far as uh, I know we did part two. I, I'm not sure if we're going to do a part three. We may actually dive into uh, the, the type of students in another episode. This is something we could uh, unpack. And, and being a flight instructor, especially now, is is a little bit difficult for those that are just getting started. I know that a lot of people have written into us, uh, and you can you know obviously contact us by going to stuckmikeavcast.com, leave a comment down there after the show or in the contact section. Uh, but it you just hang in there. That's the biggest thing is is keep trying to do something every single day so that you can actually get better as an instructor, even if you don't 
have a student right now. It's it's gonna it's gonna change. The industry's gonna change. Things are gonna go in, in a different direction in the future. Uh, so that's what you have to prepare yourself for. Maybe niching down, you can do that now. Maybe become an expert in something that uh, <laughs> that maybe you never thought of before, but it's something that you're interested in. So anyway, we appreciate you guys. We're gonna actually go into the next thing, and that's our after landing checklist. And, of course, the one thing that we all look forward to in the After Landing Checklist is the Picks of the Week. By the way, stuckmikeavcast.com. Look at past Picks of the Week, and you can see all the different things that we've talked about on here. And, by the way, a lot of those links actually help us out because we get a little bit of a commission helps us bring us bring this channel to you. Our Picks of the Week. I'm actually going to start off with this since this was our main discussion as being uh, becoming this having a successful flight instructing business and there is a person out there that wrote an incredible book I read it when I started flight instructing uh, it's actually called the savvy flight instructor secrets of the successful CFI by Greg Brown absolutely wonderful there's a lot of good uh, little pieces of advice in there and I'll tell you the one thing and it's almost embarrassing to admit that I took away from that which worked for me one thing he talked about is wearing a T-shirt, making and identifying yourself as somebody who really is passionate about aviation, and that's what I did. I started. To, I, I wore T-shirts, and I still do to this day. Have some kind of you know an, an airplane on it, and I tell and people ask me, "Hey, are you in airplanes?" I was like, "Sure." By the way, do you want to come out and look at some airplanes? Maybe go for a ride in an airplane, and then it goes from there. And you you actually can discover this person's passion that's been burning inside them and actually bring it out and maybe change their life forever so that was what the savvy flight instructor did for me check it out it's on amazon we have a link in the show notes anyway for our next pick of the week it would be russ what is your pick of the week well carl you got my book so uh yeah you got me covered for the book of the week i appreciate that actually i that savvy flight instructor book is really fantastic i i I, I I got it on my bookshelf right behind me. In fact, I've got both the first and the second editions. I will say, if you're someone's ordering it, make sure you get the second edition. The first edition was done, I think, back in maybe the '90s or so, mm-hmm. and it talks about like mailing out, you know, cards and and that kind of stuff. That's maybe not exactly how we do things today, but but <laughs> but but the second edition is updated and, and is really really an excellent resource. Uh, Mine is is my other, you know, of course I love books, but my other thing I really love is maps. And this is the uh, Library of Congress has a ton of historical sectional maps on their website. I've made, you know, from the you know, 40s and 50s and 60s, you know, you can look up your, you know, your area and see how things have changed. Um, I've actually you thought about using some of this stuff to show differences in airspace. And I mean, I was looking at one before the show here, it had, you know, the, the AN uh, ranges on it and, and just all this kind of neat stuff. So, uh, it is a little bit hard to navigate. <laughs> it's uh, maybe because it's a government site. I don't know, but, but, um, but the sectionals are all in alphabetical order, but so like, uh, I don't know, Albuquerque or something would be first and I don't know what Wichita or something would be last, something like that. But, um, and then also in by, by year. So they've got all the uh, years grouped together for each place. Uh, but if you can navigate your way around it, or if you figure out a better way to navigate, please uh, please let us know. Uh, but really fascinating historical uh, sectional maps there for anybody who likes that kind of stuff, like me. Wow, that's awesome, Russ. I know I have some in the hallway here, and I, I wonder if you can print these out. I guess you could print them on your own printer. That looks really cool. They pr- they're pretty high-quality scans, so I mean, I imagine you might be able to do something like that. 
Oh, dude, I'm, I'm going to go check that out right after we're done here. So I appreciate that, Russ. Uh, for our next pick of the week, it's uh, Bill English. What is your pick of the week? Oh, I'm going off there to get some more old maps. You saw, I've got that one. You saw the, uh, the the Boston sectional from it's down there at the Avocado Ranch. Oh that. yeah, great right. pick. That's a great pick, Russ. Uh, so my pick is uh, it's a good one for CFIs. Um, I maybe you know you were talking about our part three, more on uh, instructional technique. The the pick is an instructor named Kim Lysak. She goes by Kimberly Dawn on Facebook. Uh, I think they call it a master instructor in Canada. She's a flight instructor in Canada. Uh, runs a business called Advancing Aviation and does some really really great great short little videos on uh, on Facebook and she'll she'll drop them into a lot of the common uh, CFI and piloting Facebook pages on instructional techniques what to do with you know the problem student uh, how to motivate uh, certain types of students different um, it gets really into the psychology of teaching and and how to teach um, certain maneuvers or how to you know how to um, you know, uh, put together some homework, as it were, for your your students, and and really get into the uh, the psychology and the science of of teaching and uh, flight instruction. They're they're great. They're little you know five six minute videos. Give you that uh, that quick tip. A um, couple of different links in there for that. Uh, so highly recommend that. It's uh, you know so much better than just you know we all we all had to pass the FOI and we read the FOI, but this is some. Uh, some real world experience from somebody that's doing it and has really dived into that uh, the science and psychology of of teaching uh, specifically for flight instructors. So uh, Kimberly Dawn on Facebook, Kim Lysak, Advancing Aviation. Awesome, Bill. Thanks for that. And uh, go check that out again in the show notes. Moving on to Sean Moody. Sean, what is your pick of the week? Hey, Carl. Um, this was one for, for a lot of the flight instructors who uh, who may be working independently. Um, I work for a school. We've got our own syllabus. But um, a few years ago, uh, a lot of the um, education, aviation education companies uh, kind of came together and made their syllabi uh, free to download. Um, and so if you're a, an independent instructor out there who's trying to sort of come up with a curriculum, uh, these are really handy to have. Uh, there's ones from Sporties, uh, King Schools, ASA, Lime, and they range from private pilot, instrument, commercial, uh, that kind of thing. So if you're if you're an in independent CFI and you're trying to come up with a syllabus to to get people through your course, uh, these are really handy for you and kind of a, a roadmap to get you through. Um, and I've got uh, I think at least four of them here. There may be more out there that I haven't rounded up, but there's there's a lot of options out there. Yeah, and those are all free. I mean, he's pulling down from the website. Again, we'll have them in the in the link in the in the show notes here. Thanks a lot for that, Sean. So, Tom, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, I was uh, trying to stay along with this theme of uh, being a CFI, and and I may have had this as a pick of the week before, but it seemed appropriate here. So, my pick of the week is um, Cloud Ahoy. Cloud Ahoy is a debriefing software, and what you can do is you can import. Um, flights. You know, I can take uh, my track logs from ForeFlight. I can use um, downloads out of like uh, some of the Garmin products, you know, the Bad Elf, um, the Verve. I mean, there, there's all sorts of different avenues to get information to put it into this thing and then use it as a debrief for my students. Um, this thing provides all sorts of information. It provides a 3D map. It provides, you know, airspeeds, altitudes. It'll show me approaches. It, it, it really, really is robust on giving my student information after the flight for debriefing. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about charging for ground time. You know, after I show a student, you know, the kind of information that I can give them after a flight 
and what we did and how we did it and what happened and what they were doing at the time while it's still fresh in their mind, they have no problem paying for a little bit of extra ground time because they really, really enjoy it. The nice thing that's about it as well as I can share it with them. Once we're done with the file, I can send it off to them, get an email address, and I can give them the file so that they can go home and look at it again and they can pour over it. So a um, little bit of added value for a CFI is uh, is something definitely worth using. So that's why I picked it. Awesome, Tom. That is a great tool. And uh, we'll put that again in the show notes. And you can find that too in our past picks of the week at Stuck Mike Avcast. Guys, this has been an awesome discussion. I hope you, the listener, have learned something uh, through our discussion here. I know I have. And uh, don't forget to go back to part one and listen to that part about how you can have a successful flight instructing business. And I know you can. I know things are tough right now. Uh, maybe you just got started and you don't have a lot of experience. But through using some of these techniques, using the tools that we've talked about, I think it'll help you and I think it'll help you move forward in your flight instructing business and possibly career but the most important thing is during especially this time is is don't stop. I mean, keep looking forward. Keep trying new things. Just keep taking a step towards being a better CFI every single day. I know it's a daunting task, but, but I know you can do it. Well, really appreciate your listening and also appreciate, I want to say it is the beginning of the year. I appreciate all of our patrons out there. Uh, you can actually find out more about becoming a patron, stuckmikeavcast.com slash patron and just one dollar a month can make a huge difference in someone's life because what we do is we help put this together uh, that money helps put this together but it also for every single dollar we give away uh, a scholarship guide or it goes towards the ten dollar cost of a scholarships guide so that means uh, if you do ten dollars a month or if you do one dollar a month for ten months that actually is a scholarships guide but I also want to you know actually elevate some of the folks that have helped over the past year and that's uh, Shay and Kenyon and Brian all of you have actually given enough through the patron account to give away 10 scholarships guides and that's actually through our pay it forward campaign and the people that are listening now that maybe want to try to get their CFI get a scholarship for a CFI pay for an additional rating they can go and click on the scholarships guide on the right side and use that pay it forward I also want to say thanks to our newest patrons Mike Don Austin uh, that have just come come aboard and also our continued support by Dan Robert Brian Kenyon and Shay uh, really appreciate all those those new people and also the ones that have enabled us to give away over 10 scholarships guys that's that's just awesome also a big shout out to the sponsor of this episode that's plainenglishsim.com that's the app-based aviation radio simulator and it's a great way to gain radio proficiency both vfr and ifr so check them out at plainenglishsim.com another thing they're doing is they're giving away 10 scholarships guides by using that coupon code plainenglishsim just one word and you might be able to get a free scholarships guide well, folks, we really appreciate your listening. Hopefully you've learned something. Love to hear your feedback at stuckmikeavcast.com. But most importantly, if you're a flight instructor, do something for me. Keep moving forward. Take one step today to move forward in your flying life. And tell us what you've done. Tell us what you've done to make yourself more proficient, a better CFI, and maybe you have some advice for those that are trying to build their business. Well, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. 
Members of the Stock Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.